Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Ursula, and it is November 26th, and uh, today the show for Anne and I um, is Stop Me If You've Heard This One, <laughs> The Neuroscience <laughs> of Humor, and I am here with my uh, buddy, beloved friend, and, um, uh, and also co-founder of Be Above Leadership. We're talking about humor, so let's make it funny. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, no pressure. Okay, well, it feels like since the title is Stop Me If You've Heard This One, that I should start out with a joke. So how does that sound? Oh, yeah, please do. Please do. You're better okay. at telling a joke than I am. That's for sure. <laughs> well, um, this, so these are, this is a joke that's considered one of the funniest jokes in the world. So here we go. So uh, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson were going camping. They pitched their tent under the stars and they went to sleep. And sometime in the middle of the night, Holmes woke up Watson and said, Watson, look up in the sky and tell me what you see. And Watson replied, oh, well, I see millions and millions of stars. And Holmes said, and Watson, what do you make of that? What do you make of that? And Watson says, well, I I would say if there's all these millions of stars and even a few of them have planets, it's likely there are a few more planets like Earth out there and there might be life, and it's, you know, this just amazing, wondrous universe. And Holmes said, Watson, you idiot. It means someone stole our tent. (laughs) 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 Oh, gosh. neuroscience of humor and what's so interesting about it is that it is designed to be disruptive it's designed to be unpredictable you are not predicting that answer and that's why it's funny and so I I just wanted to I just wanted to say this as you're telling the story I mean I am and and this is the other thing I think that uh, you correct me if I'm wrong that humor does it actually paints a picture so I am in the movie. I am there with Watson mm-hmm. and Sherlock Holmes, who I love as characters to begin with. I have a mm. deep affinity to these two people. And I love camping. So, you know, I am in the movie. I'm in the story. And it, would ne- it, it, it never occurred to me that... <laughs> That of course, if he's looking at the stars, but he's in the tent, that there shouldn't be a tent. I think it's hilarious. I did not expect that whatsoever, and well, it makes total sense. It's lovely. <laughs> yeah, you're you're disrupted, and so you're you know you're you know we have talked in our work. We love to talk about this whole idea of prediction. What am I predicting? And our brain is always a little bit ahead of us. And this is true as you're listening to a joke or a story. You're predicting, you're sort of, you know, we're always just a little bit ahead. We're thinking, oh, okay, and, you know, and then Holmes is going to talk about the meaning of life or something. Um, even though you know it's a joke and you know there's going to be a twist, even when you know there's going to be a twist, you still, a good joke, you can't predict it. And that's what makes a really good joke is when it's unexpected like that and it disrupts your prediction process and it's almost like you're galloping along this road and, whoa, all of a sudden you have to stop. And that is part of what makes things funny. If it's predictable, it might be interesting, but not doesn't tend to um, generate as much humor uh, in, in it. So I think that's part of it in that unpredictability will also activate the reward cycle in the brain. And so humor, this is the reason, as I understand it, that humor releases dopamine as part of this Uh reward cycle. And it's because dopamine is part of the process that's cueing us to what's important and novelty in the unexpected will be part of what is needed for dopamine. So 
very, oh, that very, very uh, that roughly. Makes, yeah, that that makes uh, that makes uh, that makes complete sense. And then, of course, there is the aspect of laughter, which is uh, so good for us. Um, so, um, so without um, sort of taking away from the science of humor, but what do you think is it about laughter that's so good for us? Well, you know, they have that, and I had a chance to do this once in in um, in a class. I they had someone who had studied laughter yoga, and there's this whole thing that there's a, a very funny YouTube <laughs> video where a guy you're <laughs> laughing. I'm just talking about laughter. You start laughing, but the guy starts yeah. laughing on the subway, and pretty soon everybody's laughing, and there's no reason for it. So there's this contagion. There's this social bonding. The yes. research mm-hmm. shows that it releases endorphins and when you endorphin release sort of spreads through a group you feel bonded and safer you feel closer to people you've laughed with now here's the interesting thing when we think about you know coaching and learning and human development which is our thing if we can make people feel safer and more trusting and more bonded to the people that they're with their brains relax and are more open to learning and change. So it's an amazing tool for human development, I think. Yeah, no, that makes uh, complete sense. It sort of uh, reminds me of a, um, of a, a, uh, an incident or a story that I recently had with my five-year-old granddaughter. You know how funny little kids can be. And uh, <laughs> she was saying something that I thought was really quite, hilarious and I started laughing and then she started giggling and laughing well before we knew we were both laughing and we didn't really know anymore why it was <laughs> contagious it was like the two of us rolling on the floor in total silliness laughing with tears in our eyes looking at each other and chuckling and laughing and giggling and then you know it, we, it's almost like we couldn't stop anymore it was really, no, I really funny just... but I really the bonding I mean, I really get that. Um, that was a that was a real bonding moment, and I'd never thought about it, uh, you know, from that perspective. It's a great. I, somebody was describing this as when one person starts laughing, it's a game of endorphin dominoes, and researchers is laughing, <laughs> and you don't know why. And there is this thing that they found. I mean, there's, so there's wonderful research, and one of the resources I want to point people toward, and it's part of the context of this call, is um, if you're curious about all of this, I could not speak more highly of the American Association of Therapeutic Humor. These are the people that are basically saying, how do, we, how do we bring more humor into our healing work in the world, therapeutic humor? So a lot of them are working in hospitals. A lot of them are therapists, things like that. Um, and part of the reason we're even having this conversation is I had the amazing opportunity to do a keynote at their conference last spring where I talked about the, the science of humor and the humor of science. Um, and how both how you know what do we know about humor? So I did a lot of research, and also, um, like from my perspective, why it's important to make science funny, be given you know you and I teach science basically, and why why would we want to make it funny? And I'm I'm curious if you have any sort of off the cuff thoughts about why would we want to make science and human development and transformation and all of that? Why would it matter if it were funny? Well, I, hmm, I do just have some thoughts on you that. Of course, I do have a thought on that. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, I think even for me as a coaching, you know, from a coaching perspective, you know, people take um, self-development, learning, um, the journey of transformation as such a serious subject. And it is, mm. but it's like most things that there's also a huge paradox in it. I have found mm. that the longer I've been coaching, the funnier I think my clients have become, or the, the, <laughs> the more I can see the... <laughs> the more I can... <laughs> Are you feeling? If you're one of Ursula's clients, just know she means that from the heart. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean it's totally 
from the heart. You know, I really, no, it's, I don't know if it's just that I think life has become more humorous and I have a different perspective mm. on the seriousness of mm. learning or if they really have become funnier um, <laughs> because I, I, I really do, um, it, it, it lightens things up, you know, and you were talking about bonding. Well, in our work, bonding is an important aspect. Um, so, yeah. you know, having a perspective that life is serious but not, I think, really encourages learning. Yeah, I really, I love that. I think it's true, and I would, and we'll, we'll talk in a little bit about the seven levels in humor and kind of the different types of humor and even what they, they have different biochemical markers associated with them, but I want to say a little more about this because we were talking before the call, and I was thinking, you know, I have I find myself funnier, and I don't just mean like oh pat yourself on the back you're so funny, I mean like I find my own stupidity funnier, <laughs> like you know like <laughs> um, you know showing up at a training in two different kinds of shoes because I was so distracted that morning and and things that I would have been more embarrassed about years ago, I really kind of just give myself a break. And I want to read you something from my research. And there's a quote that people, people might be familiar with this quote, and I pulled it out because I really love it. And then I want to read you a little more. Um, G.K. Chesterton once wrote, angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. Oh, nice. And, nice. and here, here is what I found when I was doing some of my research. Humor disengages fear because it changes your perspective of the past and of the present. The traumatic childhood episode loses its tight grip on your heart if you can place it in the ridiculous category of other stories from the past. With a playful perspective, you can remove yourself from the problem that has you debilitated with anxiety. Laughter forces a few steps, some much-needed distance between a situation and our response. Yeah. So I yeah, love, that, I that's love this really idea. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, no, it's, that you is get this? so, that's amazing. That really is great. Isn't that beautiful? I don't remember where I pulled that from. Forgive me, I don't have the exact re- reference on that. But I like this idea of, um, and I think there's a paradox there as well, that we can get a little distant. Now, Ursula and I are big, we are not fans of the spiritual bypass. We are not fans of, we see actually the debilitation in a human being if everything becomes a joke, if everything is distance between, you know, what happened and now. So there's a paradox there that I was talking to a client earlier. I don't know if this is a good analogy or not. Ursula, help me out here. But it's almost like humor can Here's my, <laughs> I really don't know if I like this, but bear with me. Um, I, I kind of think that humor can be a little bit like anesthesia. So, you know, you've, you, you're going to go in and maybe they need to take like a, a sample of, you know, maybe you're worried you have a little skin cancer or something like that, and you need to have that cut out. Well, if you just cut it right out, it is so painful that it's, it's, you're not going to, maybe you won't even do it, right? But if you know uh-huh, that uh-huh. the doctor's going to use a local anesthetic, they're going to block that, and you're going to feel something, but it's not going to be excruciating, you're going to go do it. But you still have to, to do the biopsy, right? So uh-huh. to me, humor isn't a go around it, don't ever deal with it, just make a joke. And I know people like that. It's more like, how do I get enough distance that I can actually work through this thing? Can we get a little lightness about it while being present to it? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think there is a way that um, it uh, diffuses uh, some of the emotional charge around something. Um, So, you know, if I can... Um, if I can own up to something really stupid that I did or forgot or dropped or whatever, um, and I can make um, 
I make I can make it funny or I can look at the funny side of it. It takes some of the emotional charge out of it and makes it easier to be with and easier to live with. So I like this. Mm-hmm. I like that um, you know analogy of the um, of you know helping. You know, it, it's sort of like. It's sort of like uh, the, the the sugar that makes the medicine go down better. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a that's a less rapid than having your arm biopsied. <laughs> but I, it's all I had in the moment. It's all I had. I, I have to tell you another joke because this sort of leads. It did, well, I'm sorry. Were you were you going to say more? I was done. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to tell you this other joke. So, so this frog goes to see a psychic, and he uh, sits down with the psychic, and she's looking in her crystal ball, and she says, the frog says, what do you, what do you see for me? And this, the psychic says, oh, you are going to meet a beautiful girl, and she is going to be fascinated by you. She is going to want to learn everything about you. And the frog says, where am I going to meet her? At a party? And the psychic says, no, biology class. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about uh, unpredictability. I mean, I was going to, you know, the princess that kisses the frog. Unexpected and and delight in the yeah. and delight in the disruption, um, uh, because it's and we'll talk a little bit about in a moment above and below. But one of the reasons that I found that joke is I also found this great quote by the the great writer E. B. White, and he said, "Humor can be dissected as a frog can, but the thing dies in the process." So there mm-hmm. is this kind of just like we can pull apart why is that funny. You know, and oh, because it disrupts your prediction and it makes you make new connections in an unexpected way. This is one of the reasons why I also think we don't, we talk a little bit about it when we're talking about neuroplasticity and the brain making connections. But I think also, like, if I had to think of something to keep my brain young, it would be like listening to a, like, like a lot of humor, like jokes I didn't already know because it's going to force your brain to make new connections, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's uh, so. <coughs> yeah, that is uh, that's uh, really interesting. Now, um, so do you, do you want to have a look at below the line and above the line, you know, you know because yeah. what really is coming up for me here is, uh, I mean, I love your jokes and I love how you tell jokes, um, and I know that I have looked at uh, comedy and listened to people tell jokes that sometimes I'm not only not finding funny at all, but I actually find them offensive. So, shall we look at the above and below the line yeah. aspects of humor? And so when I was doing my research for this talk about humor, um, one of the things I found in the, re- in the research was, um, and there might be more than this, but this was just one area where they said there's four types of humor, affiliative, aggressive, self-enhancing, and self-defeating. So isn't that interesting? So we would put um, affiliative, you know, like I tell the, the funny joke about Watson and Holmes, and I'm not, I'm not making, I'm making, you know, it's, it's, you know, nobody's being made, it's a fictional character who's sort of being made to look stupid, but it's not mean, uh-huh. and it's, it's just kind of, it's just sort of sweet and, and, you know, not uh, really, you know, it's not like saying your mama's so fat. Those kind of jokes, those yes. would be aggressive yes. humor, yeah. right? Yeah. Or ne- I think mm-hmm. they call that negging, where you're literally making fun of someone. And so, you know, if, if, if we're in the in crowd, it's funny. But if you're in the one being picked on, if it's racial, if it's, um, mm-hmm. if it's sexist, if it's homophobic, any of that, you know, it is not funny. In fact, it's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. That would be aggressive humor, you know. 
affiliative humor. We're laughing. We're laughing together. We're laughing with, and we're not really, I guess in that case, we're laughing at Watson's expense or the frog's expense, but it's so fictional that it doesn't feel yes. like we're not really, it's not you know, there's person. no real, yeah. right, right. Yeah. It's yeah, just a, it's, it's not kind a, of a made up not a real person. story yep. that, yep, that everybody exactly. can relate to. But if I start telling dumb blonde jokes, you know, and my friend is blonde, you know, even if she knows well, I'm not really talking about her, it could feel a little hurtful. You know, yes. it's yep. it's kind of like, you know, and then people say, oh, well, I didn't mean you. Well, yeah, but you were talking about blondes. You know, that's not, you yes. know, we're not all like yes. that. Um, so I think that that's would, to me, tend to calibrate a little more in the aggressive um, for sure. And there's the, it's pro-social affiliative, it's sort of benevolent humor. It's this inclusive humor. It's this, you know, telling um, something that everybody can relate to. Uh, and this type was discovered to correlate with um, personality traits like kindness and humility and honesty. The kinder the person, the more likely they are to make more benevolent jokes that strengthen social bonds oh, that are not against uh-huh. someone else. They're more going to be uh-huh. kind. They're going to be inclusive. Um, and they're going to be funny uh-huh. in a gentler way, in a gentler way. Uh-huh. Right. I'm trying to think of it uh-huh. yep. of a good. Yeah. Um, here's an, here's one that I think fits in that. Um, Cause it's just very neutral. Um, a Mexican magician tells the audience he will disappear on the count of three. He says, uno, dos, Poof, he disappeared without a trace. (laughs) 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 So there's nothing, I don't, I don't, you know, it's, it's not a racial stereotyping. It's not making fun of Mexicans. I really, it's just using Spanish. It's using the, it's using a pun. The language. It's using a pun on, on language. And so it's, You know, you're not laughing at anyone. You're laughing at the 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 the, inter, the double play of trace and trace, you know, T R E S and T R A C E. So it's very. Yeah. I think that's very affiliate, very affiliative humor, because it's mm-hmm. not at yeah. anyone's expense. <laughs> yeah, no, that disappeared without it. I had trace. to think. I had right. to think a moment. I had to think for a moment. Uh, <laughs> then, know, you know, like, it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> So I also think that this kind of crosses into um, self-enhancing humor, which they define as the maintenance of a humorous outlook during adverse or harmful situations. So, you know, you come in to the, somebody did this, this did not actually happen to me, but I, where, where was I? And they were literally wearing two different shoes. I think it was in a training. And they were wearing two, not on purpose. They were both black shoes and they did not match. And they were like, yeah, I'm a little stressed. But that kind of, they could laugh at themselves and they could just talk, talk about, you know, look, like, I guess this is a really good example of what happens in your brain when you're really stressed out and you can't focus. And here I am, you know, one shoe has laces and one shoe is a slip on. <laughs> right? <laughs> and so they're... Yep. They're just finding finding the humor in the situation, poking a little fun at themselves. And there are kind of two ways of doing that because they're self-enhancing and then they're self-defeating. Um, and that is, um, there's an interesting thing. Self-defeating humor can kind of go both ways. So when you poke fun at yourself, and I'm looking to see if I have a good have a good example of that. I'm looking for one. Um, uh, oh, here's maybe one. Stephen Wright, the comic Stephen Wright, he has that very flat way of delivering, and uh-huh. he tells a lot of self-defeating humor. So here's one. I think this is self-defeating. I'm not sure. I can't do it in his voice. You have to imagine this real monotone. He says, I woke up this morning and folded my bed back into a couch. I almost broke both my arms because it's not that kind of a bed. <laughs> yeah. So it's a little bit like, look at how stupid I yeah. am, and I'll poke fun at myself. Um, and that, what's interesting, the researchers, they found that it 
um, that it can really correlate with happiness, but also with greater anger suppression. That is really interesting. Um, this is sort of like the self-deprecating humor that um, that I find, you know, often sort of shows up in British British comedy shows. Um, mm -hmm. And I find that I find that really endearing. But I I guess it is uh, maybe it's the come from place how it is. Uh, even told, or you know, I don't know. It's an interesting. That's an interesting perspective, because I think I have that kind of humor that's sort of more self-deprecating, and I actually find it really funny. Um, but it's an interesting sort of heads up. You know, is it a suppression of something, or is it really humorous? Yeah, and I think that that's the key there um, is they, the researchers actually said that they thought that self-enhancing humor would be, um, would actually give you more psychological well-being, would lead to higher scores in terms of psychological well-being. But they found that it was the self-deprecating humor um, that had, that correlated more with happiness. And I think it's a little bit like just don't take yourself too seriously sort of uh -huh. thing. Uh -huh. But again, we can tip over into, and we can probably think of examples of people who they're just constantly putting themselves down. Um, and it's sort of funny, and after a while it gets a little sad. Yes. Yep. I wish yeah, I had good comedic... Uh, it uh, it starts feeling inauthentic in some way, but I guess it's like everything else. If you keep repeating the same thing over and over, it stops being funny, and uh, it, it really then it feels like it's just a it's just a show or just a pattern, or a, it's then it feels like an act. Is probably what I want to say, rather yeah, than and I you think know, that genuine funniness. It's very, very layered, and I'm not an expert on this or, or, or on comics or anything like that, but I do remember we were talking about this at one point, and someone was talking about an interview they saw with Robin Williams, and I've seen a number of interviews with him, and they pointed out yep. Yep. that even that he found it very difficult yep. to be serious even for a moment, that it was all yep. humor, and you know we all know how much he struggled with depression um, yep. and ultimately, you know, suicide. So I think there's a, there's a real downside to there. And I want to think about all of these as kind of tools, that this affiliative humor, this way of, of gently, you know, laughing together, not at someone's uh -huh. expense, not creating an in-group and an out-group. That would be aggressive humor. But affiliative humor, how that really can, you know, bond a group and release those endorphins or even just laughter together. And then in our toolbox that this, that it's useful to have both self-enhancing humor and self-defeating humor. And I wish I had a better example of self-enhancing humor, um, which is sort of like how you conquered the dragons kind of thing. Uh, this might uh -huh. be one. I'm, it's, a, it's another Stephen Wright one. He says, I've been getting into astronomy, so I installed a skylight. The people who live above me are furious. <laughs> So it's not really self-defeating because he won the day, but it's sort of like, look what I got away with. And uh, so that's kind of, that might maybe fit more that category. I don't, I don't know exactly. I haven't done a study of what fits in every category, but they're saying um, self-enhancing humor, people who use self-enhancing humor tend to manage their anger better, or they just feel less angry in general. So self-defeating uh -huh. uh -huh. led to more well-being, overall well-being, uh -huh. the ability to laugh at yourself, not take yourself too seriously, poke fun at yourself, better psychological well-being. And then the self-enhancing of when you kind of like won the day leads to less, is correlated with, we don't know which came first, but there's something about less, less anger, suppression, and feeling less angry in general. So I think we have both of those, and we can use, it's not a one or the other, but we can use both of those to be happier people.
You know, it's interesting. Um, I'm thinking of my dad, who um, had a, um, a, a quirky sense of humor. Um, this self-enhancing humor, you know, by your description, the maintenance of a humorous outlook during an adverse situation. He actually, he actually managed that very well. Um, <laughs> so uh, we are we are camping, um, and it's not uh, Watson and uh, Sherlock, but we are we are camping and uh, in tenting in Spain. Um, what we've later found out was a dried up riverbed. So we have this massive thunderstorm and uh, downpours oh, hours, no. hours, hours on end. Yep, the, the riverbed, as you can imagine, filled and flooded the campground, including our tent. And then I see Dad wading, you know, um, you know, basically waist high in his shorts and flip flops <laughs> to this brown mud. And in one hand, oh, he's carrying a bottle of Ciento Atres, which is the Spanish brandy. And in the other, he's carrying a bottle opener. And he's turning around and he said, in every emergency situation, you must not forget two things. It's the brandy and the bottle opener. <laughs> I Never think forget that's that. self-enhancing I mean, humor. I think I that's think like self-enhancing humor. I love that. I love I, that. I, think, he's I, also, so I will never forget that. <laughs> I just think, and you know, and I do think this is something, and it probably has to do with the way the unexpected cues dopamine in our brain, and dopamine will help, will help make memories stickier, things that we associate with yeah. dopamine, that's one of the roles that it plays. And so it's kind of, you know, when, when you ask people, um, you know, like what's, the, like, what's the funniest thing you ever saw, or I hate to say funniest, it's puts people into comparison but if you say something funny they will also often have memories from early childhood you know mm-hmm. that all of the things that you could have remembered from that age that's or all of the times you went camping that's what you mm-hmm. remember um mm-hmm. you make me think of there was this time that uh, Noah and Robert my ex-husband and I were in Costa Rica and we hadn't been there very long we hadn't really realized what the rainy season meant and it means torrential downpours you know just torrential um and we went out for a long walk and we didn't you know realize yeah three o'clock in the afternoon it's probably going to rain and we're walking home we literally were like a mile and a half from the house and it is pouring on us it is just like the sky is open and it's like you know being in one of those waterfall showers or being under a waterfall Mm -hmm. luckily it was warm and I just looked at the two of them and they have their heads down and, you know, they're just not happy and we're slogging through the rain. And I looked at them and I said, guess what we're doing? And they're looking at me like, what are we doing? You know, I said, we're making a memory. And no one remembers <laughs> that. And laughs at, it's not that funny, but there was something about self. It's like in that moment, like self-enhancing humor. Oh, and you know what? And the, yep. the truth about it is, I remember that so well. I remember where we were on the road. I remember, you know, like how tall Noah was. And we were, we were making a memory, but probably more so because I said that and, you know, found a little lightness in this situation. So, um, totally. I can see that. (laughs) Interesting. Let's talk a little about this aggressive humor because, you know, you and I were talking beforehand about. I mean, you were just saying, well, you know, well, that's just not funny. And we were sort of musing on, well, hmm, okay, it's not funny to you. But, like, I think about um, um, this, I'm sorry, it's the example that comes to mind, and I don't think of a, I can't think of a better one, so forgive me. So there's this movie years ago, it's called There's Something About Mary. Um, I never saw the whole movie because the trailers were more than enough for me, and, you know, the whole movie may be very funny, and I don't mean to, you know, put anybody down if you like that movie, but in the trailer, there is a point where a little dog goes and just latches onto somebody's crotch, you know, and it's just like hanging on to the guy's crotch. And this is presented, you know, with a laugh track. And when we're laughing, it's terrible. We're laughing at that. We should not be laughing at that. We should be better people. But that's, to me, this, you know, that's aggressive humor. That's, you know, somebody's getting hurt. (laughs) 
Oh, my God. And, and, and here's the interesting thing. In a different context, if we are not being told it's funny, if the person isn't sort of the clown or the bad, I think it's like the bad guy in the movie, um, if, if it's in a different context, like we are out for a walk with a friend who we care about, and we go by a yard and this you know, little dog launches itself at our friend's leg, and that's not funny. That's scary as hell. No, that's and, not funny. You know, really yeah. disturbing and upsetting. It's not funny. It's not objectively funny. So things that are not funny can be – and a lot of people being hurt, I watch this in movies, and I think if that happened in real life, that would probably create trauma in them forever, and they would be in yeah. the emergency room and they would be in the hospital for a very long time. Human beings don't just, you know, we're not made of rubber. We don't bounce back like that. And we don't bounce back emotionally like that. But a lot no, of those things I, are portrayed as humor. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's what's funny about the dog and the, you know, the, the, the dog uh, picture. Um, it's interesting, um, as you were telling the story, I actually only saw the dog and the the person from the waist down, so it didn't actually have a face, which I thought mm. was really interesting as I was getting the visual. And I, you know, I think yeah. maybe this is why I thought it's funny because it's it almost l- looked like there wasn't really a, a real person in it. But if there had been oh, a face, especially as you say, yeah, it's it, it really fascinating to me. Mm. Now, if it had been now a face of a person I know, well, that would not have been funny at all. Right, unless they were wearing, you know, I think about there's this thing that you can get where you can wear these giant rubber suits. I think they're made to look like sumo wrestlers, which might actually even be sort of offensive, but, you know, you can get them for parties and you wear this giant suit. And so if you imagine that, you know, your husband, Yetsa, who we both adore, is wearing like a giant suit and a dog comes up and bites, you know, this rubber, it might then it might be funny, but... You know, if a dog was actually biting us, it wouldn't be funny at all. Um, no. So a lot of this aggressive humor is all about it's be it's sort of what you're saying. I think it's it's this ability it has to dehumanize to make people into the other. The in oh, movies man. a lot of times it's the bad guys, you know, the the or whoever is uh-huh. being portrayed as sometimes the bad guys are the you know the police because they're representing authority and it's whoever gets is being portrayed as the other in the movie whatever happens to them even if it's painful and hurtful is funny you know is being is is we're being told that's funny and I do think on some level it's you know even as I was telling the story of the dog we're laughing you know it's like but it's sort of hard to, if we're being told in the context is it's funny, it can be hard to step out of that context. Uh-huh. Yeah, and you're right. It is really, it is contextual because, you know, in my visual, I didn't even see, it didn't see a person. Now, if there would be a context around, you know, it is a person I know, it is a neighbor, it's happening right there, then, you know, that that's, that would that would just not, you know, not be funny anymore. I also think it it could be related to something that we have experienced. So if I have been bitten by a dog, you know, that that would definitely not be funny anymore because I would have experienced that, you know, in real life. Well, you know, and I'm, um, I'm a, and I'm thinking, I, I, you know, it's it's so contextual, and I'm thinking. So I'm 55, and I've, you know was born in 1964 uh you know when i was growing up a lot of things were changing and a lot of things were changing in terms of women in the workplace and feminism and and you know i think there are things that i never even questioned when they that whether or not they were funny you know sort of madmen jokes jokes about women um things like stereotypes about women, uh-huh. about minorities, about um, sexual orientation, things like that, that just were funny. And I'm going to give you an example. I was watching it last night. I'm a huge Monty Python fan. I grew up with it. And I've been watching some Monty Python skits, and it's like listening to this language from my childhood. My friend and I would just crack each other up by saying things like, well, it's a dead parrot, which is not funny unless uh-huh. you've actually seen the dead parrot sketch. But there's uh-huh. this, so there's, but I was watching last night and there's this um, very funny 
song called I'm, I'm a Lumberjack. I'm a Lumberjack and I'm okay. And it, the, it starts out where, uh, if you've never seen this and if you haven't, I encourage you to go Google Lumberjack song on YouTube, where the guy is singing, I'm a Lumberjack and I'm okay and I, work all, I sleep all night and I work all day and I cut down trees. And, in, and the song starts tra- transitioning to, he starts saying things like, I cut down trees, I wear high heels, suspenders, and a bra. And, and everyone around him who's sort of singing the chorus gets disgusted and leaves. Because instead of being this manly lumberjack, he's uh-huh. now talking about cr- cross-dressing and, and he's doing it in this very serious voice. And so, you know, I grew up with that that's hilarious. That's really funny and, uh-huh. you know, and everyone's leaving. And if you watch Monty Python, they're fairly, they're, they're, they're very funny, but there are a lot of homosexuality jokes. And Monty, contextually, uh-huh. Monty Python would have been in the 70s. And contextually, uh-huh. if you contextually at that time i'm going to offer that if you were not a sexual minority um that might have seemed funnier but as i'm watching uh-huh. this song about that's funny because it's talking about cross dressing i'm not finding it as funny i'm what uh-huh. i'm not finding funny is the fact that everyone not that he's i'm still finding that he's singing it funny what i'm not finding funny is that the the chorus is disgusted and leaves that's not yes. funny. Yes. Yeah. Now not because anymore. Our, no, because our context around people who, you know, have a different gender identity is so much broader than it was in 1972. So this is not to pick on the Pythons. They, we use what we have at the time. There are probably things that we think are funny now that 30 years from now, uh-huh. people are going to like, can you believe they thought that was funny? You know, that's yes. not funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I can I can really see this. This sort of reminds me a little bit of you know jokes about the Irish, uh, you know that uh, you know or certain nationalities that uh, you know t- t- twenty years ago you know everybody was laughing and thought funny and this is the kind of joke that these days at least you know for me is is also not that funny anymore. You know, because right. it picks on because a, you know, it picks on a, it picks on a nationality, you know, and I have to love the Irish. I think they're, they're wonderful people. So, <laughs> you know, it's. A... <laughs> well, and then this, oh. then this sort of leads to the, sort of the, so this would come under a potentially aggressive humor. What is it designed to do? Is it designed to make someone into the other? Is it designed to disconnect or connect to point a finger? And so then the question, I don't have an answer for it. I only have the question. So Ursula, you know, I'm of Scandinavian descent and I grew up in Minnesota and I'm um, a quarter Swedish and a quarter Norwegian. And I love to tell Oli and Lena jokes which I think is the Norwegian one. And I, you know, can do a fairly passable, you know, Norwegian accent. Very stereotypical. And (laughs) I'm not going to tell one now because there's some very funny Oli Lina jokes, but it does, it is a question of saying if it is told by a member of that group and what constitutes being a member of that group, that's another question, is is it then funnier? And, you know, if people are telling jokes about, I was watching this this YouTube person that I absolutely love, psychologist named Dr. Romani, and she's she is of Indian descent, and she was talking about people being late and about how that can be a real sign of disrespect. But she was saying, and she sort of jokingly and very sweetly said, "Unless you're Indian, because we're always late." You know, sort of like yes. because she yep. wasn't trying from the outside to you know bash Indians. Yep. She was saying as yes. an Indian, yep. but. Yeah. I have to say, not every not everyone even agrees with that. Some people feel like just because yeah. you're a member of the group, you still shouldn't be doing it. Yeah, no, I I I can see that. You know, it would it could f- fall into the category of self-deprecating humor um, when you are part of that group, part of that nationality, part of whatever. Um, but I can also see that uh, people looking from the outside in, you know, say it's still it's still poking fun. Um, at at someone and it's it's not right you know uh, on a different note one of the hardest 
things that I find to be with as it relates to humor is embarrassing humor. It's when mm. you know when it is really. I mean, I find I find sexual jokes really offensive and embarrassing. Mm. Um, it really, it. I mean, I squirm in my seat. I find it really, really uncomfortable. Mm, that kind of humor that really makes you cringe, and often mm-hmm. it is because it is. Um, it, you know, there are there are gentle jokes that have a sexual content, but they're not um, aggressive. Uh-huh. And I think sometimes that's funny, but again, it's contextual and depends on who you're talking to um, and the context. And there are so many contexts of, you know, I think about the, the, the ones like there are things that are funny in some cultures that are, and it's not just language. It's just in that culture, that kind of thing is funny. I wish I had a good uh-huh. example. Um and it's maybe not as funny in a different culture. There's also things that are, um, you know, people who don't have a background of trauma may find jokes that allude to some kind of trauma funny. But people who yes. have a background of trauma are not going to, and you're not necessarily going to know that. So there's, there's yes. it's, it's, oh, it's just fascinating and, and layered and um I think bears more thinking about in terms of the power of it to bring us either above the line or below the line. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, for us as coaches, there's something uh, really uh, powerful in that, you know, you were talking about affiliative humor when we can be together in a, (laughs) in a situation where the client also thinks that this was funny um, and we can laugh with them you know, I think that that can be, you know, that can be very bonding and um, and fun uh, in a coaching I think relationship. About, <laughs> yeah, it, and in a friendship, et cetera. And I think about, yeah. you know, um, you know, think about the difference in just in delivery. So, you know, we all probably many of us, at least in the West, are familiar with the guy, Dr. Phil, and he has a famous phrase that he's fairly aggressive with where he says, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? And, you know, that is, that is something where, you know, I've I've had a a client, you know, say something along the lines of that they're going to, you know, try something that has not worked four times, like for the fifth time, you know, they're going to go do it again. They're going to go have that conversation with their boss one more time and try to get heard. And I got to tell you, I just, you know, in that moment, and I love them and I feel for them, but I just sometimes have heard myself saying in a very different tone, okay, how's that working for you? <laughs> how's, that, how's that explaining thing working for you, really? And sometimes that will actually be the thing that helps them shift their perspective. Whereas if I'm aggressive with it, like you're, you, because when, when he says it, usually, honestly, it's a little bit like you're an idiot, like you're stupid. How's that working for you? You stupid. The, the subject is you're stupid. And I think if we laugh and if it's genuine and I say, okay, so this is going to be the fifth time you go try to explain your perspective. Okay, how is that working? It's more like, um, let's look at the absurdity of this and let's just look at how, um, how we're human. And I think that sometimes even as a coach, Ursula, and I know you do this, this is where when I can tell on myself and I can use that self-deprecating humor and talk about, you know, the time that I tried to have that conversation five times and, you know, like, because what that reminds them of, and I say this all the time, like, you know, that it's a, it's a, it's it's a normal human thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily work. So we can laugh at that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's uh, that that's uh, that is so true. That there are situations in life where uh, I I really feel one has to see the funny side of it, or it would be um, it would be really too sad. It's, a, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I was uh, talking to my certification group this morning, and one sweet person in there was saying, you know, sometimes when I explain the neuroscience to one of my clients, you know, I think I'm in level one and for those of you that are listening, level one is a listening level where it's all about me, all about 
the, me listening to myself and you know it, it, the focus is on me level two is the other and level three is everything so anyway she was saying I find myself in level one when I explained the you know the and she said and how would you overcome that Ursula <laughs> how, would you, how would you overcome that Ursula and I sort of stopped for a moment and, and I said oh, this is such a great question I said you know this is a really an interesting case of self-management because you know you need to manage that and I said, you know, sometimes I say to my clients, you know what, I know I'm so aware this is this is all about me right now, but don't worry about it. I'll come back right to you in a minute. <laughs> and they all I they all that. laughed because I because I think yeah. it was it was contextual again. They could all identify yeah. with it that they had been there. Um, and yet, how do you do this in a situation that where you don't beat yourself up and you see it lightly? So, in any case, yeah, I love I love that. Um, <laughs> I wanted to just I wanted to just loop back because I forgot to say with the aggressive humor. One of the downsides of that aggressive humor, other than that it creates sort of an us and them, is that it's correlated with a higher expression of an experience of anger in everyday situations that people who, you know, again, I'm not, we're not saying it causes that, but it's correlated. Angry people use aggressive humor and Ah. maybe using aggressive humor keeps you angrier Um, because when we, Ah. you know, when we affiliate and when we connect, then we're, you know, we're, we're bonding with others. It's harder to be as angry. So that's part of that uh-huh. pro-social impact. Well, it's time, I think, to wrap up. I do have one more joke, if you're up for oh, it. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> okay. Please, go this for it. When, when, I, when I Googled world's funniest joke, this is the one that came up from a few years ago. So here's, here's the joke, and probably some of you have heard this before. Um, okay, two hunters are out in the woods when one of them collapses. He's not breathing. His eyes are glazed. You know, it's like, did he have a heart attack? What's going on? So his friend calls 911. 911 like, 911, my friend is dead. What should I do? The operator says, um, okay, well, calm down, calm down. I can help. So first, just take a moment. Just like, go make sure that he's dead. So there's a silence on the line, and the 911 operator is, is sitting there. And after a little while, uh, the operator hears, bang. And then the other guy comes back to the phone and says, okay, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, dear. This is about taking things too literal. (laughs) Oh, my, that's a really good one for, you know, when you're dealing with people who take things literally, that would be it. That would be great. Yes, Oh, that is love that. I just love that. So that on that wonderful. note, we we will say goodbye for this blog talk, and we'll be doing blog talk more regularly in the new year, pretty much every month. So, you know, we yeah. uh, yeah. have a new commitment to that because we we absolutely love this format, and I think we'll probably be doing one in December, but we still have to work that out. But for sure, in the new year, look for us every month. Yeah. Yeah, so thanks for listening, and uh, um, we certainly hope you found it as entertaining as Anne and I do. Uh, and did, <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, so <laughs> um, have a great uh, day and a great month, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. And and uh, thanks for your lovely jokes. Uh, just uh, the Beth Watson <laughs> Sherlock Holmes one. I will remember that one. So thank you. <laughs> okay. You're okay. welcome. Bye bye, right. everybody. Bye everybody. Bye bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. 
Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. 